0: If you're new, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's definitely good to have Tim and company back. Uh, Good to have Nate back leading with us um, this morning. I know I have just woke up this morning uh, especially thankful for um, a good congregation, for a good uh, church. People, especially as I spent a majority of my week uh, horizontal uh, with the flu, I'm just thankful that people care for one another well, and I'm able to rest well. It's, just a, been, it's been a good week, uh, but before we jump in uh, to the text, I am uh, feeling the need, especially this morning, I should probably feel this all the time, uh, especially, but the need to just ask for God's help uh, in these moments, uh, both as I open uh, this text and as, as you hear, we all need uh, help in this this morning. So let's, uh, let's pray. We're going to use Psalm 1 as our guide this morning as we pray, so join with me. Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Father, we desire um, to bear fruit, like we talked about last week, to be a fruitful people and to prosper. And we long to stand in the coming judgment. So, so give us ears to hear your word this morning uh, and grow our affections for what you have to say in your word that we might be like trees planted by streams of water that flourish and bear fruit. Um, And that's only, it's work that only you can do. God, so I pray as I say my own words, it would fall away, be forgotten quickly, but where I speak after you, um, I pray that you would do a work by the power of your spirit and for the glory uh, of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I will always miss my um, my 1997 Pontiac Bonneville. Many of us have cars that we loved. Um, this is this was my, one of mine uh, named Bonnie, very creatively, right? Uh, Bonnie the Bonneville, supercharged V6, leather interior, Bose sound system, sunroof, no AC, no heater, uh, busted trunk latch. I mean, this thing was loaded. Had everything you could want except for AC and heat. Uh, but just. Just seven short years together that we have. So many good miles, so many good memories. Um, if you take away all the winters and the summers. Spring and fall, lots of good memories in the spring and fall. Uh, but several years into our relationship, um, one of the things that, that went was, uh, was the gas gauge. Um, just sat on the E all the time. Uh, a minor thing, really, who needs a working gas gauge? Apparently, uh, apparently I do. Um, Beth and I, we were newly engaged, we're on or uh, making the, the drive to Wichita that we've made a thousand times uh, before, and that's the, that's the first time it happened, um, that I ran out of gas. I, I had a system, of course, right? You Every time it flipped over to 300 miles on the odometer, I would start thinking about maybe getting some gas, um, but on this particular trip, I must have missed it. I must have missed the flip over to 300. I think it was... I was just captivated by my bride-to-be. We were in deep conversation, Um, uh, and I must have also missed the turn to Wichita, and I'm going to blame it on that, right, the conversation with my uh, bride-to-be. But we we were, uh, before I could even turn around, get to the next exit and turn around, uh, you know, I feel the gas pedals, you know, it's useless, Um, the sputtering, you know, all you can really do is just turn and hit the brake, and that was it. Bonnie sputtered to a halt, uh, along with my ego, that was it. Um, and this past week, as I was thinking about this, I remembered Beth documented all of it on, uh, on Facebook. I think it was out on Facebook before the, ca- the car even came to a halt, um, which I'm very thankful for that, a uh, wife that posts those things. But that's, that's what the gas gauge always looks like, uh, or it did always look like, sitting there on E, which is useless. I think I drove for four more years with the car like that, and I won't tell you how many more times this happened. But gauges are important features on a car, right? Um, when they work, they tell you vital information about what's happening on the inside, under the hood, where you can't see anything. You know, I had a lot of there are a lot of fun things about this car, um, but a lot of those things didn't matter because my gas gauge didn't work, and I couldn't get anywhere uh, when, when I ran out of gas. And I know it may seem like a silly comparison, but we as humans, we we have gauges too. They don't light up. They don't um, make fancy noises. Uh, they take a, a bit more discerning, but they're there. Outward indicators, um, things on the outside that, that show us what's going on on the inside. So outward indicators of inward reality. Something that we can see that tells us what's going on where we can't see. And Jesus points to one here in our text this morning, one of the clearest gauges in your life and in mine, one of the clearest signs of a Christian, in fact, uh, is that they love who the world ignores. They love who the world ignores. That's a, one, of the, one of the clearest gauges for the Christian life is that followers of Jesus love those who are overlooked. Now, that doesn't make someone a Christian. Uh, just like a gas gauge doesn't make a car stop running, right, broken or otherwise. It's, it's a sign and one of the clearest uh, that we need to pay attention to, um, because it's a big deal to Jesus in this text, even personal, as we'll come to find out. If you don't love who the, uh, if you don't love who the world ignores, he basically says, uh, you can go to my left over here where others are going to hell, which sounds like an exaggeration, but, but it's not. In fact, Jesus' teaching on hell in this passage is, is some of the clearest in the Bible. He says, pay attention to this warning light in your life. It's a matter of of life and death. So let's hear what Jesus has to say, our text. uh, Matthew 25, we've been walking through Matthew. um, Chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, I'm going to read the whole thing for us. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there and follow along. If you don't have a Bible, as always, uh, there are a couple uh, back on the back table. Take that with you um, on your way out this morning, that it could be yours uh, to take. So, So Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, hear God's word. As you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is God's word. So we've been working through Jesus' final week um, in Matthew's gospel. This is the last section of Jesus' teaching before before he goes to the cross. Um, He's been talking about the end of things, right? The end of the world, signs of the end of things coming And here, uh, we've come to this judgment text, and we'll see three things in particular as we walk through um, these verses. First, judgment is coming. I think that's pretty clear in the text. Judgment is coming. And when it does come, a rescued heart, uh, second, a rescued heart is a compassionate heart. And third, a calloused heart is a doomed heart. With the big takeaway from this, with this passage being followers of Jesus' love, they they show compassion to those whom the world uh, overlooks and ignores. So first, the warning: uh, judgment is coming. Now, I, I know we don't like we don't like to think about it. Um, I'm guessing none of us are terribly excited, uh, get real real pumped about the doctrine of hell. But but we can't ignore it, um, especially as we come to a text like this. And the teaching from these first few verses uh, is clear, I think, and that's. Uh, that is that sheep go to heaven and goats go to hell, right? I think that's the clear uh, message of this text. Uh, you'll never walk through a petting zoo again, I guess, maybe, um, the, the poor goats. Uh, not really. Okay, what's going on uh, in this, this text? It's a clear, remember, Jesus has given several metaphors or stories about the end of things, and this is the same, right? It's a metaphor, a picture, a simple picture for final judgment. Now, sheep and goats in that day, they would graze together during the day, um, in the same field, but they were they would be separated at night because sheep preferred uh, to to sleep in the cool open air uh, by themselves. They had the coat, they had wool coats that would that would allow for that. But but goats needed to be herded together. They needed to stay close to one another for warmth. So so a shepherd would simply separate the sheep's and the, the sheep and the goats, and that would be an easy thing to do because they look very different. Um, but the point is, a, a day is coming. Jesus says, "This is what what final judgment will be like." When all people, all nations, uh, are are gathered before me, I'm going to separate them one from another. Now remember, Matthew has spent the entire book, uh, this entire gospel, building the case that Jesus is the king. He is the promised Messiah. And as the king, we're told in this text, at the end of things, he will sit on his glorious throne. And he will be the one that separates, that divides, that judges. Which is frankly, uncomfortable to say, even as a Christian, to, to say that all people will be gathered together and judged, some on the right, some on the left. Uh, but there are two things that I am confident in. Uh, as a, whether, whether you're a Christian or not, you live as though these two things are true. One, we live as if there's a judge, as if at the end of things, someone is going to divide people down the middle. We we all live as if if there's a judge, and second, the only way that judge is any good is if he does something about evil. We all live as if there's a judge. We need to. (laughs) Um, If there's no one to please or disappoint, why why does anything matter at all, right? Why be kind instead of a jerk? Why work hard if there's no evaluation, right? That's what we talked about last week. Uh, The only reason we work part of the gifts that we've been entrusted with is because we know that there's a master who has entrusted them to us and will come and evaluate and judge our life's work at the end of the day. Without a judge, nothing matters. It just doesn't. Um, and there's, there's a play called After the Faults by Arthur Miller, um, which, is, which is most likely, uh, it's probably at least about his own marriage, divorce, and then the tragic uh, death of his ex-wife, Marilyn Monroe. But he says, a, uh, there's a character in it called, named Quentin, uh, who says this about life and judgment um, during the play? Should be on the screen. It says for many years I looked at life like a case at law. It was a series of proofs. When you're young, you prove how brave you are, smart. Then what a good lover. Then a good father. Finally, how wise or powerful or whatever. And we all do that, right? And he continues. But underlying it all, I see now there was a presumption that one moved on an upward path towards some elevation where I would be justified or even condemned. A verdict anyway. And I think now that my disaster really began when I looked up one day and the bench was empty. No judge in sight. And all that remained was the endless argument with oneself, this pointless litigation of existence before an empty bench, which of course is another way of saying despair. How do you follow his logic there? I mean, we all live as though there's a judge, as if our, our life has meaning and our choices matter. If if at the end of things we look up and there's an empty bench and there's no one there to judge the way that we lived our life, what does it matter? We're all taking a test that will never be graded, <laughs> which which probably for students or a, or, a, or children, that sounds like a great thing, right? We're taking tests that aren't going to be graded. But let me tell you, as someone who's worked on a project that right at the end of it, just, ah, everyone just gets a check. Good job, good job, good job. That's infuriating. It's, uh, no one wants to live that way, especially not when it comes to your life's work, the way you live. We all live like there's a judge, and the only way that judge can be good is if he condemns evil. We need a judge that will deal with evil in the world. And uh, I don't know if you've seen the modern sitcom, uh, Modern Family, but even Manny knows this. Uh, Now, again, this show doesn't get everything right. I want to be clear about that uh, from the beginning. But but it's it's telling even Manny from this show, even a sitcom like this, uh, like Modern Family, when they deal with with the question of hell, uh, it's spot on. So let's uh, let's watch and see how Manny deals with the question of hell. Manny, just, he just can't let it go, right? This, the question of evil, even for Manny, right, uh, it occurs to him as the conversation goes along. What do we, so what happens to the bad people? What happens with evil? Where do they go, right? If they don't, if they, if they don't go to hell, where do they go? It's an interesting look. It's, I mean, even, even a sitcom like this has to deal with the problem of evil and the need for a judge at the end of things. And look, the doctrine of hell is is an ugly one. I don't like it. Uh, you you, You probably don't like it either, right? It ought to break us up, break us to tears, and motivate us to share the good news that we have about a Savior who can keep you from going to hell. But judgment is absolutely necessary if you want a God who is good a judge who is good at the end of the day. And look, all of us are, are guilty. We're all the bad people that are going to get sectioned off in this, uh, around this lake of fire, right? The Bible is clear on this point. Apart from Jesus, no one is good. We are all against God. We hurt and ignore and act selfishly most of the time. and We've de- declared war on the God who made us, our creator. And it's only by his grace that we can be rescued. And of course that's that's what makes the gospel of Jesus such good news, right friends? We can there is rescue possible. Despite what we've done, we can be made right with a holy judge. We can be on the right side of judgment when it comes. We can be welcomed into to God's kingdom. Those according to Jesus who inherit the kingdom prepared from the foundation of the world. And here's what Jesus says about those those people, those who have been rescued, those who have experienced his grace. He says, a rescued heart is a compassionate heart. A rescued heart is a compassionate heart. This is where we get to the real crux of this passage. Look, look down at verse 34 and read along with me. It says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when do we see all these things to be true of you and do this for you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, do you know, I I skipped over some of it. You notice all the repetition, right? Who are the ones who who have been rescued? Jesus gets very personal here. He says, the sheep, the ones on my right, those who inherit the kingdom, they gave him food and drink and welcomed him in and covered his nakedness and cared for him in illness and imprisonment. The rescued people are those who are showing compassion, who love those that the world ignores. Now, I want to be clear, these things don't earn the rescue. We need to keep that in front of us all throughout this text. It's not what makes, uh, these things, these good things are not what makes anyone a member of this kingdom. They are a gauge, just like my broken gas gauge. They're an outward sign of an inward reality. If you've been rescued, if you've received compassion from this Jesus... Then you will be compassionate to others. You will feed the hungry. You will welcome strangers. You will care for the hurting. You will serve the oppressed and the marginalized. You will actually love who the world ignores. And specifically, Jesus is talking here about about those within the family of believers, the church, us. He says, these, my brothers, which is, he's talking immediately about the disciples here and about all Christians by extension. The way we treat other Christians, he says, is a light revealing what's in your soul. But of course, while compassion begins within the family, it ought to gush forth everywhere to everyone, right? That's the light on the dashboard, which is so different than what most of us uh, would have picked. Um, If I were writing this, I'd probably say, uh, right, Jesus doesn't say, You prayed to me, you went to church. Um, that's Manny's big beef, right? He's skipping church, so he thinks he's in trouble. <laughs> but Jesus doesn't say, You prayed to me, you went to church, you had a great quiet time, you attended every Bible study, you voted the right way, you kept most of the rules, you were a decent person. Here, come to my right. Now, those are go- good things, right? But they aren't the right gauge. The question in view for Jesus is what did you do for those whom the world ignores, that are overlooked? the marginalized and the vulnerable, those with no voice and no advocate, the stranger, right, those who who maybe don't look much or speak much like you are born in a different place but matter very much to God, the sick, those with physical or mental ailments, right, who need caring visitors, the people who, apart from Jesus, we'd, we'd likely want nothing to do with, Whatever we do for them, Jesus takes it personally. We do it for him. And the opposite is also true. Jesus takes it personally. He says, whatever you don't do for those in need, we don't do it for him. A calloused heart is a doomed heart. A calloused heart is a doomed heart. Jesus says, here, to my left. Listen, if you think you've been called to Jesus, but not called to love those that are ignored by the world, overlooked, then you're, you're wrong. Look at verse 41. It says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when did we see all these things to be true of you and, not, and, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now friends, as I studied this text this week, um, it was convicting. I can live... A really insulated life with almost no effort at all. All I'm mostly distant from the needs listed here by Jesus. It actually takes effort for me to be confronted by most of these needs. And when I am confronted, it is so easy to become calloused. So a warning like this is a good one. What am I doing with the love I've been given, with the compassion that I have been shown, Because the stakes are really high. Um, Are you showing others the kind of love that you have been shown? Now, it's worth the reminder again, before we move on, this text should serve as a diagnostic for those who follow Jesus. He's not giving a prescription for getting into the kingdom. In other words, you don't become sheep by showing compassion to the hungry, the sick, and so on. You don't get in by doing good any more than fixing a gas gauge will make a car run. And it's a fine line to walk here, but I'm try- I want to be precise because it really matters. You can't do enough good before God to be counted among the sheep. Only Jesus was able to live that life and welcome us in through his death and resurrection. And still, And still, I don't want to take away the force of this warning, right? We ought to be living this way. Unlike my gas gauge, this indicator is true and reliable and actually says something about the state of our souls. So let's take the warning, the diagnostic, seriously by considering just a few questions as we close. First, where is your heart calloused? Where is your heart calloused? Who are you ignoring in your life and in the way that you love and the way that you show compassion? All right, so we all have calluses. We need them on our hands, on our feet. If you play an instrument like a guitar, you need them on your fingers, right? And they they come from repeated friction or irritation, right? We need calluses in certain places, but our hearts ought to be soft towards all people. And if we become hardened to the point of not caring about others, we have to ask whether we've experienced the compassion of Jesus. Are you callous towards toward the poor? Maybe, you have, maybe you've been conditioned to believe that, <laughs> that people don't have to be poor if they don't want to be, so their need isn't really your problem. But Jesus here disagrees. He takes it very personally. Are you hardened toward the stranger, the, the person who is other to you? Do you only see them through a political lens? Or do you have eyes to see their humanity, their dignity, the fact that they image, they image, they're image bearers of our God? Are we numb to the needs of the most vulnerable, the unborn or the very young, the, the sick or the aging, the, the hurting and the helpless? Where is your heart calloused? I mean, just look at this list. Pray over this list with a, with a soft heart. Where have you become hardened or tired or apathetic? Take a good, hard look at your life and ask whether you have made space for those who have no other space in society. And join me in taking this as a solemn warning, because he's not messing around here. It matters, right, very much. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So high stakes. Um, It matters whether or not Christians care for those who are overlooked by the world. Second, a second diagnostic question. How are you showing compassion? Who are you loving? Who are you working to feed and to house and to clothe and to welcome and to visit and to love? And look, my heart has been... uh, glad this week as i think about the ways that our congregation does this not just in our not just among one another which is which is very much what jesus is talking about here but also in our community right many of you are doing this to the point of sac- sacrificial pain right taking meals to one another opening your homes to each other in generous ways visiting one another when hope is running thin Preparing meals for our friends at Advice and Aid, opening your your homes to children who have no place to live, who have no clothes to call their own, using your skills to repair and to build and to make a home for others, right? These are good things that I know are happening in this congregation, and so my heart has been gladdened as I think about that this week. But these things don't earn you squat when it's all said and done, right? (laughs) They don't. They don't. They don't earn you a spot in the kingdom of God, but they matter a great deal as a gauge, as a window into your soul. One final question. Do you know this compassionate king? Which is the most, which is the most important question that can be asked. Have you experienced his love for you? That he looks out upon us as... As a good shepherd who sees sheep who are harassed and helpless. <laughs> are you ready to follow him into the good life? Because you won't know the good life without this good shepherd. You and I, we are broken and, and impoverished because of sin. Oppressed by our own self-centeredness. And judgment is coming. We all live as though that's true, and it is. But this judge, this, this, judge, this king, he is unique. We are the hungry and the thirsty who need food and drink for our souls, and he satisfies us with himself. He is the bread of life. He is the living water. We are naked and ashamed. We need clothing, and he clothes us with his righteousness. We are sick, and he restores us through his death. We are imprisoned, right? We are chained to sin and death, and he has set us free through his resurrection. We have nothing on our own, and he has given us everything at the cost of his own life. He left his throne, all the power and privilege of heaven, and he entered our world to be the one the ultimate ig- ignored one. <laughs> the one who came to his own and his own did not receive him. They rejected him, despised him, killed him even. And he bore the judgment that we deserve even so. He came to us and we rejected him and still he loved us with everything he had. So let me ask, what will you do with the love that you've been given, that you've been shown by this king, this good judge? Let's pray. Father, thank you that, um, that we can rejoice in the good news of the gospel that you you have fed our hungry souls uh, with yourself, that you have clothed us with your righteousness, that the chains of sin and death have been broken by your death and resurrection. God, all those things are true. And I pray that as we experience that, your love for us, that we would, in fact, be the kind of people, rescued people, who show compassion to all those in the world, especially those who are overlooked and in greatest need. Because we, we see that that is true of us. We, in, our, in our time of greatest need, you came to us and made a way for us to flourish and to have life. I pray that we would be motivated to live as such by the power of your spirit. We pray this in Jesus in your name. Amen. One way we respond every week Um, To the good news.